We, we began a new series last week called A Meal with Jesus, Grace, Community, and Mission Around the Table. And it's sort of, there's this weird verse. I mean, I think it's kind of weird. There's a strange verse in the Bible, um, in the Gospel of Luke. It's kind of a, a, a strange description, if you will, of Jesus. And it's actually, we've based a whole series in Lent on this one verse. And here it is, Luke seven thirty four. The son of man came eating and drinking. And you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I mean, it, let's just be honest. It's a weird verse. What, what do we do with a, a verse like this? It's kind of a weird way to think of Jesus. It sort of really makes him human, doesn't it? Like he eats and drinks just like I do. He probably goes to the bathroom just like I do. I mean, he's a, he's a human being, you know. It's kind of a strange way for Jesus to describe himself. You know, it, it, like, it, it's kind of strange. You know, he says, the son of man came eating and drinking. There's a couple other spots in the Bible where it says, the son of man came to serve, not be served, but to serve and to give his life. There's another spot that says the son of man came, um, you know, he, he came to seek and save the lost, that's kind of why he came. This verse sort of describes how he came. He came eating and drinking. And as a result, it afforded him a reputation, not so positively among the people of his day. Because he came eating and drinking, he got accused of being a glutton, someone who drinks too much, and, or uh, eats too much, and a drunkard, someone who drinks too much. It also pr- afforded him a reputation of being a friend of sinners. And I just find myself as I just contemplate this central passage to this series like you know I I wonder what kind of reputation you know which of those words describe the reputation I might have among people which describes the reputation you might have among people I hope it's not glutton or drunkard I hope it's friend of sinners I would love that reputation I think that's a cool thing to be known for but when you actually look for it in the gospels especially the gospel of Luke you do discover that the son of man did indeed eat and drink a lot with others. He spent a lot of time around the table, which led author Robert Karras to conclude in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, he's at a meal, or he's coming from a meal. Um, That's how he describes Jesus in the gospel of Luke. And when he's not eating and drinking, Jesus is often talking about meals. He's often using the language of feast and eating and drinking to describe his father's kingdom. And, and while in this series, we're not suggesting that it's, it can just all be reduced to, you know, around a table, I think a case can be made that a, a primary way that Jesus brought and incarnated and um, offered and extended his father's kingdom was through meals, around the table. Tim Chester, who wrote the book that this whole series is sort of based on, A Meal with Jesus, he says this, Jesus spent his time eating and drinking, a lot of his time. He was a party animal. His mission strategy was a long meal stretching into the evening. He did evangelism and discipleship around the table with some grilled fish, a loaf of bread, and a pitcher of wine. I mean, could it be as simple as that? Could it really be as simple as that? You know, maybe some good barbecue, a craft beer, or a glass of wine, or a cold Coca-Cola, just being intentional around the table? I mean, that's not complicated. Anyone can do that. 
Sometimes I think we do overcomplicate evangelism and mission, and I think we underestimate the power and the value of life around the table, of shared life around the table. I mean, if, if, I think if you're a person who's passionate about Jesus, and, and, and you're passionate about the things of his kingdom, and, and you find yourself sharing a meal with others, I, I think that love of God and that love of others is just going to naturally show up. It's just going to naturally happen around the table. Being intentional with table time really can advance the kingdom of God. So here's sort of our big emphasis in this series, A Meal with Jesus, during Lent. Sharing meals with others was a simple yet significant way Jesus brought the kingdom of heaven to earth. For Jesus, meals were expressions of enacted grace, community, and mission. For Jesus, meals matter, and they should for us too. They should for us too. So today we're going to talk about a meal with Jesus and meals as enacted grace. And like I said, um, this, this whole series is based on the book by Tim Chester, A Meal with Jesus. We're inviting everyone to read the entire Gospel of Luke during this Lent series. And, and to help you with that, each week um, when you leave here, you're given a reading guide for the Gospel of Luke, along with some questions you can use to process individually or with those you're reading with. Um, so I encourage you to follow along with this. You can find the complete guide on our website or in the e-news each week. Um, each Sunday, what we're doing, whoever's up here teaching is just going to zoom on a me- zoom in on a meal that Jesus had with people in the Bible. And we're going to um, discover what it says about God, what it says about ourselves, what it says about others. We're going to be exploring themes of grace, community, hope, mission, promise, salvation. And along the way, we're inviting and challenging each of you to share a meal with others along the way. Like, like what would it look like in, in the rhythm of your life to just be intentional about inviting people to join you around your table? Whether it's inviting people into your home, inviting people out to a restaurant. I mean, let's be honest. We all eat meals every day. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks. You know, we eat a lot. I mean, just what would it look like to just intentionally invite other people into these occasions with you? It's not that complicated. You know, um, maybe you can't do it every week. You know, if you have little kids and stuff, it might be kind of challenging. But um, what, what would it look like to do it at least a few times during this? I mean, have you found yourself, even in this past week, those of you who were with us last week as we kicked it off, like just being a little more conscious about your meals? And who you eat with, like I, I am. Like I found myself, you know, like last Thursday, for instance. Um, we, we gathered as an entire staff together. Every second Thursday, we have a meal together. We have a lunch together. And it's just such a, a great time of community. And, and, and we, find, we, we found ourselves laughing as we were listening to this recording and trying to decide, is, is this person saying Yanni or Laurel? I mean... Or we were looking at this picture of a sweater. Like, is that blue and, or is it white and gold? Like, you remember that when that, like, we just were laughing and, and, and just experiencing community together. And then last Thursday night in my home, our missional community came over. 
And, and we shared this amazing meal together. And it was this, you know, it was community and, and it was mission. And, and then later that night, I, I went and met a, a kid at Logan's. And, and he was telling me about how he wants to get baptized and what Jesus has been doing in his life. And across his table, we were eating, you know, peanuts and stuff like that. Like just, just this grace and, and, and promise and hope that we were experiencing. And then, then Friday, like for lunch, I had a, a friend over who's, who's just struggling in life and um, struggling, you know, on where to live and, and um, a job. And like, it, it was as simple as like, I have some food and let's, let's laugh a little bit and, and, and let's have some lightness. And just realizing like, yeah, it is as simple as that. It's as simple as being intentional with, with who you eat with and, 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 and bringing Jesus just naturally into that. So, so that's what um, this series is about. And uh, I just want to dive in real specifically on one story this morning. So let's pray and we'll get going. Lord, as we open up the word of God, um, we just are expecting the word of God to, to speak to us. Um, to speak truth and life and words of grace and promise and hope and challenge. Um, so may we not miss it. Tune in our, our Holy Spirit you know, ears and mind and heart to receive whatever it is you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the the central story we're going to look at today, this week, is found in Luke chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, you want to follow along or on your app, find Luke chapter 5. And uh, I'm just going to read this. It'll be on the screen as well. Says, after this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The Pharisees' problem in this story here is not the party. I mean, I think they would agree that in, in some way, shape, or form, the, the culmination of the kingdom of God is going to include what we sang about earlier. It's going to include a, a feast, a feast in the house of Zion, the, the culmination of, of, of the big party. I mean, they expected God's kingdom to ultimately be a banquet, a feast, a big, a big celebration. They just didn't expect people like Levi to be invited. Their issue wasn't the party, their issue was the guest list. That's what their issue was, the guest list. So when Jesus calls Levi to be one of his first followers, that's mind-boggling to them. That that does not compute. And then to see Jesus attend a party at Levi's house, that's like downright scandalous. That that, that does not fit into into their understanding of things. You see, Levi, who also in some of the other Gospels, he also goes by the name Matthew. You know, Levi and Matthew are interchangeable. Um, And he was a tax collector. And you need to understand something about tax collectors in Jesus' day. Tax collectors were social outcasts, okay? Like, like keep in mind the, the, the setting of, of, of the Gospel of Luke in, in, in Jesus' day. Rome occupied and controlled the land of Israel. Rome was the enemy. 
was the enemy of Israel. And the way that Rome would collect taxes for its empire, for its kingdom, they would employ local people. They would employ a local person as a tax collector who knew who had the money in the area. And and so a Roman province would be divided up into different tax districts. And and locals who wanted to be tax collectors, they they would bid like almost like they submit contracts to Rome um, on the amount of money they thought they could collect on on collecting taxes for that district. And and so Rome would, would award, you know, to someone to be a tax collector with the job of collecting this much money for Rome. And anything that they collected on top of that, in addition to that, the tax collector would just simply keep. It was theirs to keep. So in the Bible, you have like chief tax collectors, you know, like Zacchaeus, for instance. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. And uh, what Zacchaeus, a guy like Zacchaeus would do is he would employ then other locals to serve as kind of tax collectors under him. And, um, and that's kind of who Levi was. Levi was a tax collector. He was probably, they think, what was referred to as like a tax farmer and he might have been one who would set up a booth like in Capernaum for instance in this story and and he would levy the the tax on fish and so you can imagine like Peter and Andrew and James and John they, they probably didn't think too highly of guys like Levi who were taxing them on their their catches of fish tax collectors they mean they were hated you know, some of us in, in our day and time, we might have stereotypes of like the IRS and, and tax collectors, but like just put that on steroids, you know, back in Jesus's day. Like, like tax collectors were hated. They were dishonest. They were greedy. And most of all, they were traitors because they worked for the enemy. Okay. They were employed by Rome. And so the Jews in Jesus's day, you gotta, you gotta remember like, like the, the conditions, the, the, political conditions, you know, of the day. The Jews were longing for the day when God would come, when the Messiah would come and restore Israel and the promised land, you know, to its glory and kick out Rome, you know, to to rid the land of the enemy. They were longing for that day when God would reestablish his kingdom. And and so it was it was like it wasn't just Jews versus Rome, it because the Jews felt God was on their side. It was God versus Rome. And tax collectors chose Rome over God. So Levi, in every sense of the word, was viewed as a traitor. He was a traitor to Israel, and he was a traitor to God. In the Talmud, which, which is a, a word, like think of it like a, a commentary, you know, to the Torah, you know, like, like, additions to the Torah, like, like they would call tax collectors um, robbers and murderers. Like they, they would be associated with the likes of robbers and murderers. That, that's how severe tax collectors, you know, were thought of. And, and notice even in the text, did you catch that in the text? You know, Jesus was eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. It's like tax collectors had their own category. I mean, they're sinners and there's tax collectors. They don't even get to be in the category of sinners. They're even worse than sinners. They have their own category. And here's God's Messiah. Here's Jesus sitting down at a table with tax collectors. And he's eating with them. And he's drinking wine with them. God's enemies. Now you got to understand, like in that day and time, when you shared a meal with somebody, when you shared bread and wine, like that was a symbol of 
of friendship. That, that was a sign of, of fellowship and, and, and of family and of acceptance. That's who tax collectors were in Jesus' day. Now let's talk about Pharisees, for instance, or for a minute, because they're central in this story too. Pharisees in Jesus' day, that, that was sort of like a, a lay movement of, of religious people. Think of them sort of as a religious party. Um, the, the Jews, remember, the, the Jews hated that Rome occupied the promised land. That was like a, a big wound. It was a big sore spot to, to the Jews of Jesus' day. Rome occupied the promised land. And the Pharisees, in particular, believed that the only way that Israel was going to be restored was through obedience to the law. That Israel had to become holy in order for, for God to set things right again. So they were driven by that. They were motivated by that. And so they believed like it was very important to obey the word of God. It was very important to obey the law of Moses, the Torah. And it was even important to obey the, the unwritten Torah, like all the additions to the first five books of the Bible. The, the, the Pharisees believed that Israel had to become pure. Israel had to become holy first. And then the Messiah would come and take care of things. So the, the Pharisees, they were passionate. They were really passionate about this. They, they were even zealous about this. They took the purity rituals that you read about, you know, in, in Leviticus, for instance. And, and they, they, you know, even the ones that were just kind of for the priests, and, and they wanted everybody in Israel to obey these laws. They wanted everybody in Israel to, to follow them and to observe them. The Pharisees, I just want us to have a little sympathy for the Pharisees because sometimes we look at them as the bad guys. But, but I think if you understand their heart, like it, they were driven from a really pure, motivated place of longing for the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. They longed for all of Israel to live in a state of holiness because they were convinced that Israel's identity as a nation and their future depended upon it. So that's why it was so important to them. So it, so, so for a Pharisee and, and even a Jew in Jesus' day, it was, it was very common to wrestle with and to ask the question, who can I eat with? Who, who can I eat with? Because there's all these laws. There, there's all these laws about clean and unclean and you know, clean and unclean food and clean and unclean people. Like, so it, who can I eat with? Because I don't want to become unclean because I think Israel's identity and future depend upon it. I mean, so, so in, in the book, Tim Chester quotes, you know, it's been said doing lunch was sort of like doing theology in a way. It wasn't as simple as just having a meal. Like you had to think through a bunch of stuff. Doing lunch was, was doing theology. So the Pharisees had all these elaborate laws in place to prevent Jews from becoming unclean and eating with non-Jews and sinners. Even though in their, in, in their historical prophecies, they, they probably believed this when Isaiah prophesied that someday on the mountain of the Lord Almighty, God's going to prepare this feast of rich food for who? For all people. It's not just for the, the, the clean and, and the Jews. It's for all people. And there's going to be this banquet of aged wine and the best of meats and the, the finest of wines. Even though they believe that, by the, by the time we get to Jesus' day, um, 
they've sort of narrowed it down to just a, a few people, like the, the select, you know, like it's just, it's just the, the Jews and, and the ones who are clean, like, and they'd forgotten, you know, God's heart. So jump ahead with me. Jump ahead with me in the gospel of Luke. Go to Luke 11. We're going to look at it this another time. Jesus is having a meal and, and Pharisees are present. And look at his exchange with them. It says this. Luke 11, beginning in verse 37, said, When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and he reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did Not the one who made the outside make the inside also. But now, as for what is inside of you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. This is not like mild and friendly Jesus, you know, like in that picture where he's kind of laughing, you know. This isn't that Jesus. This is Jesus kind of PO'd a little bit. This is Jesus, like this is high challenge Jesus in, in this moment with the Pharisees. You mean, even what he does, like not washing your hands, that's kind of rude. Not washing your hands would have been considered sort of provocative. And Jesus just kind of gets right in their face. He's calling out the Pharisees, this elaborate system they have of of ritual cleansing, cleaning. You know, you guys, like, you're like cups that look really clean and bright and shiny on the outside, but on the inside are really dirty. You know, you you really want to be clean, you want to know the kind of cleansiness that, 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 that God's after? Be generous to the poor and to the marginalized, you know, and, and everything will, will be clean for you. See, we got to remember the Pharisees had, had created such an elaborate system of, of laws and um, rules. That, and really, only the wealthy could, could probably even begin to follow them, you know, religiously and accurately and, and afford all the sacrifices and things like that. The, the, the poor and the marginalized, they didn't even, it was, they didn't even have a chance. It was, it was set up against them from the get-go. And that, that created this, this righteous discontent and anger for Jesus. And so he calls them out and he gets in their face because Jesus comes eating and drinking with sinners and tax collectors. Jesus comes handing out kingdom invitation parties to everyone. Jesus comes saying, come as you are. Everyone's invited to the table in the kingdom of God. And the Pharisees, they, they, they just had no context for this. And they, they had no framework to, to fit this into because Jesus is up to something totally new. He, he's doing something so new that it doesn't fit into any of their existing categories. I mean, consider, go back to to Luke 5 and and to Jesus having this meal with Levi. Flip back a little bit in Luke and and pay attention to what Jesus had been doing right before this meal that he had with Levi. It says in there that uh, Jesus healed a leper by touching him. He healed a leper by touching him. To a Pharisee, that is a big, big no-no. Lepers are unclean. If you even get kind of probably close to a leper, you risk becoming unclean. But Jesus is doing a new thing. Instead 
of Jesus touching a leper and Jesus becoming instantly unclean, Jesus touches a leper and the leper becomes instantly clean. He's totally up to something brand new. He's doing something big here. He's taken the purity laws that the Pharisees tried to follow and tried to instill on everybody else that they're so religiously following and he turns them upside down and he's now fulfilling them and completing them and even superseding them. In Jesus, something so incredibly, radically new is happening. You can't even add it to the old understanding. I mean, if you keep reading, you know, in in Luke chapter five, after Jesus has this meal with Levi and he's interacting with the Pharisees, you know, um, he he says things like, like, you can't can't sew a new patch onto an old garment. You, You can't pour new wine into an old wineskin. Jesus is doing something new. This is new wine and it requires a new wineskin. I mean, the, the old way, the, the old garment, the, the old wineskin um, was religious. The new way is gracious. The old way was exclusive. The new way is inclusive. The old way was unwelcoming. The new way is welcoming. The old way included a lot of fasting. The new way includes a lot of feasting. And as representatives of of Jesus today, as his body still on earth today, I mean, I, I think we need to ask, which way are we living? The old way or the new way? What what drives us? The old way or the new way? I love, I love how the first thing that Levi did after Jesus invites him to follow him, after Jesus invites him into his life. I love how the the first thing that Levi did was he throws a party and he invites others like him to come meet the one who covers him and changes everything. And and I I love how Jesus tells the Pharisees, you know, at Levi's house, when, when they see this and they're complaining that Jesus is eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. I love how he tells them why he came. He's like, I especially came for these people. I especially came for those on the margins, on the outside. I especially came for those that society deems the least, the lost, and the lonely. He, he says it this way. Remember this? He says, I, I've come for the sick. It's who I came for. I came for the sick, not those who are well. I came to call sinners, not the righteous, to repentance. It's almost as if the Pharisees are expecting Jesus to behave like a doctor who avoids sick people. That's crazy. They're expecting Jesus to act like a doctor who avoids any any connection with, any proximity with, the sick. Doesn't work. That's ludicrous. This meal, this simple meal that Jesus has with a tax collector named Levi is a picture of grace enacted in the kingdom of God. It's It's a picture of the grace of God on full display. Sitting down at Levi's table is Jesus demonstrating that he's come for everyone. He's come for everyone. So I want to look at just one more quick meal story to kind of wrap us up here. Now turn ahead in the Gospel of Luke. Go, go forward to Luke 15. 
There's actually like three familiar parables in Luke 15. Luke 15, we're not going to read them all. I'm just going to summarize a little bit. But Luke 15. And I love, I mean, like this stuff's popping now. Did you, did you, if you read like the beginning of Luke 15, Luke 15, 1, 2, and 3, pay attention. Who's Jesus talking to here? Here's these characters again. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees, they show up too. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're still muttering, right? They're muttering and accusing him. This man, he welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Son of man came eating and drinking. He eats with them. And then so Jesus, he he tells them this parable. And he, he, first he tells a parable about a shepherd who has like a, a hundred sheep and um, he loses one of them. And so he goes after the one and returns it to the fold and there's great celebration. And then he tells a story, a parable about a woman and she has 10 silver coins and she loses one. So she turns on the lights and she starts just thoroughly looking for it and she finds it and just like the the shepherd in the first story she invites everyone to come together to celebrate something that was lost has now been found and then he tells probably the most famous well-known parable or story um, the, the, the parable of the lost son or I think more accurately it's the parable of the lost sons okay and, and um, I'm, I'm not going to take time to, to read it, but I, I just want to summarize it. You know, it's a familiar story, and you know the story, but it's, it's, Jesus tells this story. There, there's a father, and he has two sons. And the younger son goes to the father and says, you know, I don't want, basically, culturally, I, I don't want to be your son anymore. I want you to give me the inheritance that's due to me when you die, and I want to take that, and, and I want to live apart from you. I want to live my way apart from you. And the father, like amazingly, like grants the son his request. And he, he divides up his inheritance and he, he probably has to go sell stuff in order to get enough money to give his son his inheritance. And the son, you know the story, he, he goes off to a faraway land. And um, it doesn't take him long to burn through the inheritance. He squanders it. He squanders it on, on loose living, okay? And he... And he he, he, he's finally like um, at this spot of like, it's all gone. All the people that had gathered around him have sort of faded away. And he re, he's reduced to taking care of pigs, a, a, a Jewish boy taking care of pigs. And, and one day he's looking at like the stuff that the pigs are eating. And he's like, man, I would love to eat some of that. And, and it triggers this, this thought in his head, like, man, back home, like, my, my, even the people who work for my father, they have really good bread and, and they, they have good food. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to my father and he, he, rehears, he rehearses this big speech and he's going to say like, you know, I don't deserve to, to be your son anymore. I've sort of given that up. I've walked away from that. Uh, but could, is there any way I could just be one of your hired hands or your servants? So he's rehearsing this and he's walking down the road. And Jesus tells this story of, of the father looks down the road and he sees his lost son returning to him and, and he runs, which, you know, patriarchal men in that day would never do. He, he skirts up his robes and he starts running to his son. And he, he almost like barrels him over with this big embrace. 
And the son's, you know, you can imagine maybe his head is kind of in his father's robes and he's trying to talk and he's trying to like, like go over, he's trying to recite this, this speech that he had in mind and the father doesn't even let him finish. He just, you know, he, he calls for a ring to be put on him, you know, which is identity. You know, you're my son. He, he, he puts like the good robe on him and he, and he calls for the fattened calf to be killed. Like we're going to have a meal. We're going to have a feast because my son who was lost has returned. My, my son who was lost has, has now been found again. And, and he restores him, you know, to all that he had in the first place. It's this great story. And, and, and then there's this, this one, you know, moment at the end of the story when the older son hears what's going on and he's very, very resentful because he's been working hard for the father, you know, and, and he doesn't even get like a little goat to eat or anything with his friends. And he's really resentful about this party. He's very judgmental. And um, in the story ends where, you know, the father goes out to the older son and, and reminds him, man, all that I have is yours. You've never lost it. It's always been yours. Come on in. Let's, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate your, your brother's return. And, you, and you're left hanging. Does he go in? Does he not go in? Does he go to the, to the meal? We don't know. And, and I found myself, as I was thinking about this particular story and, and this particular meal, um, you know, and, and, and as I thought about this meal that Jesus has with Levi, I'm like, like, where am I in these stories? Like, like who am I in these stories? And I want us to just kind of end there today and, and just reflect on that a little bit. I'm going to invite the band to come back up and get ready to, to sing one more song. Um, but I, I think that's always a good thing to do when you're engaging the, the word of God is to, to discover yourself in the story. To discover, you know, um, what does this story teach us about God? What does this story teach us about ourselves? Where do I see myself in, this, in these stories? So questions like this. I, I, am I Levi or the Pharisees? Who, who, do I, who am I really and who do I act like? Am I... You know, am I the, the tax collectors and sinners or am I the Pharisees um, who are really, really struggling with the grace other people are, are receiving? Am I the younger brother or the older brother, which is probably the Pharisee in this story? And I just want to speak to anyone here this morning who, who maybe, maybe you're identifying with Levi today. You're identifying with the tax collectors and the sinners or, or you're identifying with the younger son's story, like that's me. I'm kind of wayward right now. I, I've, I'm, I'm lost. I, I'm struggling. My, my life's a mess. It's kind of in the pigsty, you know, with, with the younger brother. Who, who are you identifying with? And, and if, that, if, if that's you, I just, I don't want to miss this opportunity. I don't want you to miss this opportunity. I've got really good news for you. If you're identifying with Levi, the sinner, or the younger brother, um, you're in good company because that was all of us at one moment or in our lives. But, but I have good news in, in that just like this, this younger son in this story, you have a really good father. He's a heavenly father. You, you have a really good father. And... If you're here this morning saying, man, I, I've, I've kind of turned my back on, on the Father and 
Um, I've walked away and and I've tried to live on my own and I'm trying to make it work on my own. And you're discovering that it's just not working. Like I said, you're in good company because all of us have have turned from God and and fallen short uh, uh, of, of what it means to be his son or his daughter. You know, maybe you're here this morning and you just, you feel like, I mean, I've, I've sort of, I don't, know what it, I don't remember what it's like to, to have a relationship with the Father. I've, I've sort of rejected him, and, and I'm, I'm just trying to make it on my own. I, I just want you to know that you have a good Father, and he's ready to embrace you this morning. I, I was thinking, I don't know why, but I was thinking of this verse this morning, and the, this verse I, I learned, like, back in college, and I, I looked it up again this morning. Like, here's Jesus' invitation to all of us especially to any of you who are feeling like you're on the margins or, or you know, lost. Jesus says this, man, man, here I am. I stand at the door. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, what's he say he'll do? I'll come in and I'll eat with you. I'll eat with you. That implies like, I, I, I give you my friendship. I give you my fellowship. I call you family. I call you family. I will eat with you. And you will eat with me. So if you're here this morning and you feel far from God and you're identifying with Levi and the younger son, um, right here, right now, um, you can experience the embrace of the, of the Father. Let me pray for you. Let's, let's just all pray right now. Lord, I, I pray for all of us, but I especially pray for anybody here this morning that's feeling far from God, that feels like, If they're honest, they've kind of turned from God and have walked away from God and they don't even know how to come back. I pray that person right now would hear the Holy Spirit knocking on their life and would hear the the voice of Jesus saying, hey, it's me. I want to come in. Just just open the door, crack. I'll I'll do the rest. I'll come in. And, And we'll eat together. And we'll share fellowship together. And, 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 and I'll convince you that, that you are still my son and you are still my daughter. And I'm going to put the ring on your finger. And I'm going to put the robe on you. And, and we're going to feast. It's as simple as just inviting them in and saying, like, I, I tried to do it on my own. It doesn't work. You take it. I surrender. I turn from my way and, and I accept your way. And Lord, if there's any of us here this morning that maybe we're identifying with the older son, Lord, forgive us. If we're, if we're identifying with the Pharisee and we're realizing we're quick to judge who Jesus should eat with and who he shouldn't eat with, forgive us for that. How quickly we forget um, that we, are, we once were and maybe still are the sick person and the sinner that Jesus came for too. Remind us of the, the grace of God that met us in those moments in our lives. And may we not just be people who received it once or again and again, but may we be people who extend it and share it and embody it and incarnate it. May we be people who are willing to eat with the people Jesus ate with. May it be so. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's remind ourselves how good 
how so good God is.